So today we'll pick up with um, uh, verse 12. Good to see everybody. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. As, uh, as you guys know, having uh, been students for quite a long time, um, when you see therefore, it's a, it's a call to look back and, and to uh, remind ourselves what um, Paul was referring to in this case. And um, although you could certainly argue that the entire first 11 verses is in Paul's mind, um, uh, I would say that um, the, the key verse is if we look back at verse 5, where Paul says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. So what he's fixing to say is to, is to say, um, here's what I want you to do. We, we just saw he wants us to work out our salvation. We'll explore what that means. But the reason is what he's just said, and it has to do with having the mind of Christ. So I got to thinking, well, what was in the mind of Christ? And three things popped in my head very quickly. Um, but you guys are smart. You might even get a better list than I have. So if you had to come up with a few statements that would describe what Christ had in his mind while he was here on earth, what would that be? What was, what was in his mind? All right, so he was here on a mission, for sure. I think that's great, and um, and that's actually point number one. So very nice, uh, very nice call there. What else? Love to bring salvation to the world. He's again part of the mission to bring salvation to the world. Excellent. To do his father's business, to do his father's will. Thank you, Marilyn. That's uh, also uh, part of point number one. To teach love. And I'll give you credit for point number two, Aunt Gail. <laughs> uh, what else? Create disciples. Great disciples. Um, also important, and uh, I include that as uh, points one and two, so you get credit for that. <laughs> and what else? Teach obedience to the Father. Obedience to the Father. Excellent. What else? The mind of Christ. Teach disciples. I had one more. Here's the way I put it. Number one, I said he was all about, I've got to be about my father's business, right? Mm -hmm. That was one of his mission statements. When did we first hear that kind of thinking? When he was left at the temple, and they finally track him down, and he says, and he said to them, why were you looking for me? Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Forefront in his mission. I got to be about doing what daddy told me to do. 
Number two, I put that part of the mind of Christ was, I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve. I certainly picture that conversation he had with the, the disciples when, you know, they've kind of been hanging out for the better part of three years, and he's, you know, they've got all kind of crazy ideas of how this story's going to end, you know, from, uh, you know, they're thinking, you know, the conquering Messiah, uh, political upheaval, um, you know, the echoes of the Maccabean re revolt were uh, just a generation or so away, you know, let's take our country back sort of thinking, right? And uh, he says, no, no, let's, we're going to strap it on, but we're not strapping on, you know, weapons, we're strapping on, um, you know, claws so we can wash each other's feet, you know, it was all about serving, um, and in, um, in, um, in Matthew, he says, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. He was all about serving. But the third thing I put down, and, and uh, the writer of Hebrews touches on this as well, he knew this was not his home. This was not his home. And always a good reminder for us, um, we hear a lot in the news about illegal immigrants, illegal aliens. The word that Hebrews uses is aliens. We're strangers here. We're, this is not our home. If we feel restless and uncomfortable and like things aren't right, it's because we're not home. Um, in John, he says, if it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I'll come again and take you to myself. That where I'm going, you may be also. We saw just a few verses before that it says, you know, he was God, made himself nothing to take the form of a servant. He left home. And he knew he was not at home. So when Paul says in verse 13, therefore, I think he's referring to having the mind of Christ because he's going to talk to us about living out our salvation. So as, as we're going through our lives, we need to have our mindset aligned with the mind of Christ, as he said back in verse 5. Therefore, my beloved, um, we saw uh, or have seen through this whole thing where Paul is writing people that he really loves and cares about. You know, I um, not to put him on the spot, but I love hearing Daddy talk about all the things going on in the class, and I also enjoy his um, take on the medical things, um, uh, which is uh, certainly. Uh, an interesting uh, explanation of some of the medical things going on with you guys. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he really cares and loves people. He's always been good at that, as mom has as well. And, um, and I, I, I love that. And, and so Paul loves these people. And he says, you know, as you have always obeyed, so now not only is my presence, but much more my absence. So kind of as Jesus was did when he says, you know, I'm... Uh, in all of 
around John 14, all those chapters, was him about transitioning his disciples from not just doing what they were doing because he was around, but he was getting ready to leave. And Paul is, you know, he's in jail, right? And, and he doesn't necessarily know how much more time he has around. And he's kind of making that transition to say, um, you guys, it's not about me. You, this is bigger than me. I want you guys to keep doing what you're doing because of having the mind of Christ, because you're doing it for the Lord, not because, not because you're just wanting to do it for me. He says, now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. Um, there was a cool um, little book on parenting that we came across when the kids were little um, called Shepherding a Child's Heart. And it talks about... Um, uh, you know, just good parenting advice from a Christian perspective, but it makes the point that if you create lots of rules, then you've controlled your children perhaps very tightly, but only while you're around, right? Because <laughs> when you're not around, the rules aren't really in play anymore. But if you've got their heart, then you got them no matter where they are. Because, you know, you've got their heart. Their, their, their heart is aligned with you. So they're going to do what you want them to do even when you're not around. I mean, that's the ultimate transfer as a parent when you see, when you see your children doing the right things because, because now they're, you know, they, it's not just because you're around, right? And that's, that's what Paul is wanting for his people there. Uh, not just because I'm around. In fact, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be even better when I'm not around because now I know you're doing it for the right reasons, not just because I'm going to hear about it. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So this is one of those verses that has been misunderstood, misquoted, taken out of context. Um, this thing about working out your own salvation. Um, it's a whole other talk, or five, um, getting into uh, you know, how we're saved and so forth. But we know, ultimately, we are saved by grace, not of ourselves, right? I mean, that was in Ephesians where we just left. Uh, this is the same guy writing, right? So um, Paul is consistent. The Bible is consistent. So you can't just pull out a verse and contort it to think that it's by works. Our salvation is not by works. I mean, the whole Bible is really consistent about that. There are a few verses on the fringes that you can torque a certain way to, to make your point. But this isn't about working out our salvation in the sense of obtaining it. It's working out our salvation in terms of uh, the best word I came across in my reading was expressing our salvation. I think that's a great way to put it. How do we express our salvation? How do, we, how do we do something with it? It's like, okay, we're saved, so now what? So now what, right? The so now what is the next 5, 10, 20, 30, ever how many years God has for us, that's the working out the salvation. That's the doing something with it. That's the great commission. That's having the mind of Christ. That's... That's the whole thing, is the working out your salvation. 
And I think it's kind of cool. It says, work out your own salvation. Um, there's an acquaintance that Merritt and I have that um, they've adopted lots of kids. Lots of kids. And they're baffled that everybody doesn't want to adopt lots and lots of kids. It, it just seems odd that no one else wants to do this. Well, with a clear conscience, I can say, that's their thing, it's not my thing, right? But they are working out their own salvation. They are doing what God gave them to do. God gave them the desire to do. So I don't have to feel guilty about that. Because that, that's just not, that's not the thing. Um, we're not called to work out, okay? so there's freedom there, all right? There's freedom there. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Uh, the fear and trembling part, you know, the, the fastest growing churches are, uh, you know, the mega churches. There is uh, often a fair amount of entertainment value to get people who are curious in the door. Uh, you could argue that that worked for Jesus, right? He had gimmicks. I'm joking here. You know, he said, okay, yeah, I'm going to heal some folks. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to feed, you know, several thousand of you. Uh, in fact, I'll do it again. Uh, you know, so he had his thing that drew people in, right? I don't mind if big churches, things that draw people in, that's great. Um, but some of these churches don't necessarily, they're not what you think of when you think of instilling awe and wonder in the people that come in. You know, the whole reverence thing. Um, a handful of times I've visited at churches that have more of a liturgical service. You know, God, literally, God help you if you don't have a program. Because you will not know what to do. But if you follow that, you're kind of led in, and it, it, maybe if you did it all the time, it might not be cool, but to do it occasionally is really cool. And I, I think that's why, you know, some of the times in our church when we have like the Monday th Thursday service and some of those times which are really reverent and instilling that awe, this, this fear and trembling, um, I think it's a good thing. Um, several years ago, Stephen Carter Chapman had a, uh, a song that said, uh, God is God and I am not. You know, God is God and I am not. You know, um, and um, it's okay to, to recognize that, yes, we serve, um, you might could argue, uh, alongside our big brother Jesus, which is a very casual way to refer to God, but we also serve our Heavenly Father who created everything. Um, that should probably instill a bit of fear and trembling. Verse 13. Oh, Daddy, I'm going to have to pick up the pace. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So how does God work in us? How does God work in us? All right, I got a, I got a great answer down front. All right, so we have the Holy Spirit down front. And conscience, which I think some people 
might be how you hear the Holy Spirit through your conscience. So I think uh, that uh, is a great combo answer. Um, how does God work in us? I think the, you know, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in us, works in us. The agent of change, so to speak, and communication and so forth is the Holy Spirit. Uh, one commentator says, God works in us through the Word. God works in us through prayer. And God works through suffering. Which I thought was an interesting... I didn't see that third one coming like that, right? But I thought that God works with us and changes us, motivates us, whatever, through the Word, through prayer, and through suffering. Um, this God works to will and to work for his good pleasure. To will. So, in short, God changes our want-tos. God changes what we want. Now, there's this play in terms of faith and submission. You know, like, like Jesus prayed, you know, ultimately not thy will, but or not my will, but thine be done. But he was like, you know, God, if you see another way, right? But yet there was a submission here. So if we are submissive, if we are, Paul talks in a few minutes about sex, if we are sacrificially submissive to have this mind of Christ, to, to do what God wants to do, what God wants us to do, God actually changes our want to. He makes us want to do the things that he wants us to do. I, I must admit, I know we have a lot of missionary heritage here at this church, and I, but growing up, occasionally you heard the story of the reluctant missionary, right? The missionary who kind of, it was almost like God had a poke in his back forcing him on the mission field. I've always had a problem with that. Because that's not typically the way God works. God works by changing, if we're submissive, he works by changing our motivation. So he, we do the things that he wants us to do, and he helps us to want to do them. Anyway, I think you get the idea. The second part of that is, he not only changes our want to, but he also gives us the power to do what he has willed us to do. Um, he will empower us to do it. God works in us to will and to work for his good pleasure. You can say it however you want. He's going to give you the vision, and he's going to help you do the follow-through, right? Um, again, I think this is, this is a very healthy way to do it. It's a very free way to do it. Um, What's the, the verse, um, we're not supposed to give under compulsion, right? It's not like somebody's twisting our arm when you give cheerfully. This is application of that. Verse 14, and again you see his argument flowing. Do all things without grumbling or questioning that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. So, part of getting the mind of Christ 
and of having God access to your will might be a good way to do it is this don't grumble or question. All right, so that's a faith issue. That's a heart issue, right? So if you're saying, okay, God, you know, I'm, I'm going to go with this, right? I'm not sure how this is going to turn out, but I'm going to go as I think we have that step of faith, then God gives us a little more, empowers us to do it, right? And then you're, everything is going in the right direction. But then he gets into the why part, that you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked, twisted generation. Who thinks we live in a crooked and twisted generation? Right? Is when haven't we lived in a crooked and twisted generation? Right? Uh, if, you, if you kind of take media's view of you know, what some people would have thought were the golden years of America, those post-World War II years when the economy was humming right along because of the war and everybody was coming home and having babies and, you know, tremendous growth and prosperity and everything. But probably you could look back if you looked closely enough and, and see that, that that wasn't all good because if it was all good, right? Um, so there was some, there was something false and not grounded, perhaps that was going on in the '50s. Otherwise, things wouldn't have gone off the tracks uh, half a generation later. So, so we've always li lived in a crooked, crooked and twisted generation. So, why are we supposed to have the mind of Christ, and why are we supposed to do all this? Oh gosh! So we can shine as lights in the world. Holding fast, I'm in verse 16 now, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I can be proud that I did not run or labor in vain. So he's encouraging them, saying, you know, keep doing what you're doing. I'm proud of you guys, but I want to be even more proud of you. I want to know that I haven't wasted my life on you. <laughs> it's a little bit of a motivation slash guilt there. Um, like any good parent, you got to play the guilt card when it's time. Uh, I just I want to I want to know that that I've really invested something good in you. I want you to world. Um, that immediately, as I'm sure it, perhaps it did you, that uh, it made me think of that latter part of the. Uh, really, I guess it's the first part of the Sermon Mount, um, just after the Beatitudes were. Jesus talks about, you're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Um, you're there to make a difference. You're there for seasoning. You're there for, uh, for light, right? Um, right now, you know, a lot of times Christians aren't known for, for being flavorful or for being attractive to the world. In some ways we can be a little obnoxious and be repulsive or bitter to the world. That's not what we were called to do, right? So that people kind of want to be close to us. I mean, Jesus was, I mean, if you'll remember, his main message was the same message as John the Baptist. Repent. That was his main message, repent. 
But yet, he was able to do that in a way that he attracted all manner of undesirables that wanted to hang out with him. Right? So that's, again, part of this mind of Christ. How can I be salt and light in a world? I'm going to walk blameless and innocent. All right? So I'm going to give anybody a cheap shot that they can knock me down with. I'm going to have this lifestyle so I can uh, be blameless and innocent. But I want to shine light in the world so that, so that people can be attracted to me, so that I do what I need to do. He goes on in verse 17 and he says, Even I'm to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Likewise, you should also be glad and rejoice with me. Now, I had to kind of read verse 17 a few times. Even if I'm poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith. So a drink offering was a, was a type of sacrifice. So Paul's kind of saying, you know, he's pouring out as a sacrifice. But I think he's almost saying is, look, even if, even if I'm putting it all out there, and even if my best efforts turn out to be nothing more than icing on the cake, that is cool with me. In other words, I would like for your success to exceed mine to the extent that my, my own efforts, which, you know, he wasn't bragging in this case, but he are considerable, he hits this next chapter. You know, even, even if my own efforts turn out to be nothing more than icing on the cake of what you've accomplished, that is cool with me. I, I would love that. I would love that. And if you turn out to outshine me, that's okay. You should still be happy for me because I'm happy with that. Right? And it's kind of like as a parent, right? Don't you really want things to turn out better for your children than they were for yourself? I think most parents feel that way. So I think this is Paul saying, y'all, uh, this, is, this is the essence of, of what you're there to do. Be attractive. Be a light. And God's going God's to gonna tell you what your job is, and he's going to empower you to do your job. Now, one little bit of an optimistic thing. Um, uh, you guys have probably heard of Ed Stetzer. He is with Lifeway and does uh, uh, kind of keeps his pulse on the nation and, and uh, where are things going. And I came across an article that he wrote for the Washington Post uh, a couple months ago where he was reviewing some of the latest polls about how Christian America is going. And the graph looks something like this. I'm not sure what year this was. I, well, I'll tell you if I can zoom this up close enough. Okay. I do have it. In 1972, there was a convergence of points, so to speak, where you had what's called mainline Christianity and evangelical Christianity. Okay, so mainline Christianity would be uh, typically considered Iron Presbyterian, Episcopal, perhaps even uh, Catholic Christians, um, people who consider themselves Christians, but the, the whole born again really a, a common topic for them, all right? 
And the last day was 2014. And the curves look something like this. Okay. There was a huge divergence. Mainline Christianity is up. Evangelical Christianity has gone up. We think we're, we're we kind of sometimes feel a little defeated, but this is going up. I also came across in the same article. He quotes an, an historian. Uh, a guy named David Bebbington, who describes what a, what a historian would say an evangelical was. And I love this. It says, those who, I, let's see, uh, evangelicals typically has a transformed life through following Jesus, social reform efforts, a regard for the Bible as ultimate authority, and a central focus on the sacrifice that's pretty good, right? I mean, that's, that's better than a lot of preachers I've heard. Not bad for the historian. Oh, that all evangelicals would do that. That'd be awesome. So this is great. Now, the, the downside is I haven't told you what the y-axis is, right? So the, the y-axis shows we've still got work to do, right? So this was, this is a, all Americans. I gotta get some glasses. This was 8.6 percent. All right, and this was 7.9 percent. And now we're at 12.5 and 3.9. Right. So there's still some work to do. Still quite a bit of work to do. Um, how do you react to this? What does that tell you? A lot of people are looking for change. I think that's exactly true. He actually starts off the article this way. And again, whether or not you would want to attend such a church. But this is his opening statement. In 2013, South Carolina Evangelical Megachurch, New Spring Church, baptized more than 6,500 people, while worship attendance grew by nearly 10,000 more than the year before. The same year, the entire Episcopal Church in the United States only produced around 12,000 confirmations and had an attendance drop of more than 27,000 from the previous year. So a single megachurch almost was in a totally opposite direction than the entire Episcopal Church. Now I should say, there is an Anglican church that has some branches off the Episcopal Church that is probably reversing that trend 
and they're following the Anglican folks from Africa, not from England, and they're doing some really cool stuff, and one of their pre premier uh, examples of that is actually down in Charleston. Um, so I'm not painting all the Episcopals with a, a bad brush, but um, it just shows God's plan works, right? God's plan works, and it typically works because we're sort of the dominant voice in a culture. Right? Some people are starting to see we're no longer the dominant voice in the culture. But that's okay. It still works. That's why I think they're saying that there are more Chinese Christians than there are American Christians. That's, that's interesting. It's the, my reaction to this. It, it's interesting what happens to the church when it's forced underground. So if we draw this communist, I'm going to put a red line in the sand, right, on, in 2015, illegal practice Christianity, Christianity publicly in the United States. That 12% or 20% immediately the next month is into 2%. You know, who is willing to stand for Christ when it's not popular and not trying yeah. to do so? Probably yeah. God knows the heart, right, right up the road of transformation. They have an explosion of mm -hmm. salvations and baptisms. Mm -hmm. That's great. I hope somebody's catching those people in the revolving door as they then exit out into some other mainstream denominational church. Absolutely. And begin to grow in actual discipleship. Absolutely. Um, I think the one thing that our mega churches in the transformation, they're doing some amazing stuff. I go there sometimes. Um, a lot of the churches are young, and I'm not sure they not I'm not sure they totally have figured out what to do with people who aren't 20. Right? So, um, maybe I'll leave it there. You guys, in many cases, in most cases, have figured out what to do. God's given you the will. There's no retirement, right? There's no retirement in, in Christianity. Uh, we better. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for these sweet folks who are running the race still and inspiring us still. And I pray that you continue to give us the will, to give us the vision, to give us the power, and to give us a, uh, an ear for the Holy Spirit's work uh, in us. Uh, I thank you for Jesus, uh, through whom we connect with you as children. In his name I pray, amen. Thanks, everybody.